So last Sunday we celebrated Easter. And uh, one of the things I like about Christian holidays is that we celebrate them once, but the effects go on forever. You know, Jesus came to earth at Christmas, but the incarnation has amazing implications for life as we know it. And Easter is the same way. Jesus was raised from the dead. He came, he passed through death into eternal life. And that resurrection changes everything. It transforms our hearts. We began to look at that last week as we saw that the resurrection of Jesus gives us power. It gives us truth to conquer what we began to call the invisible giants in our lives. So we're going to look here. This is a slide that we looked at last week. The Bible says that our hearts are the sum total of who we are. And so we use this map of the world, just representing the different aspects of our lives and represented by our hearts. Our hearts are uh, representative of our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our relationships, and our work. This is what our hearts are. And there are these invisible giants that attack our hearts. They attack our thoughts. They attack our attitudes. They attack our relationships. Okay, we talked about anger last week as this invisible giant that attacks us. And these invisible giants, they cause brokenness and suffering in us. They cause brokenness and suffering in the relationships that we have. And so Jesus today, today what we're going to look at, Jesus tackles the invisible giant that's known as lust. The invisible giant, lust. He identifies it in the passage we're going to look at today. And then he describes, we're going to see how Jesus' resurrection conquers lust. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. Verses 27 to 30 is we see that Jesus talks about adultery and its evil, invisible twin, lust. So friends, this is Jesus talking. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the words of Jesus. And so there's some similarities with what we're going to see today and what we saw last week. Jesus begins with what we already know. Okay? He starts in verse 27 and says, You shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment, right? The seventh out of the ten commandments. And I was thinking this week, you know, why is that even a command? Right? I want to think about that. Why is, you know, in in the list of the top ten, right? Why did adultery make it? Well, it's because the opposite of adultery is faithfulness. And faithfulness is a reflection of who God is. Okay, Faithfulness is part of God's character. Pure-hearted devotion. Okay, Pure-hearted devotion is how God loves and cares for his people. 
God loves and cares. He is devoted to His people. He sacrifices for His people with faithfulness and pure-hearted devotion. And God wants His faithfulness to be reflected in marriage. God wants His pure-hearted, His single-hearted devotion to be reflected in the commitment of marriage. And sex is actually God's gift to marriage. Okay, The command against adultery isn't negative on sex. It actually celebrates sex. It celebrates sex and defines its proper fulfillment. You know, God was the one who invented sex. Okay, Don't ever forget that. I think sometimes the church is, and maybe rightfully so, sometimes the church acts like God wishes sex would sort of get swept under the table and not talked about. That's not the Bible. That's not God in the Bible. God invented sex. And, and God wants us, I mean, to understand it. He wants us to understand what it's for. God invented sex. It's this physical act that shows physically the commitment that is marriage. Okay? The, the two become one flesh. It's a physical representation of two people creating one family and having one life together. And so, to have sex with someone who isn't your spouse, or to have sex with someone else's spouse, that completely destroys the beauty of what sex is. It destroys God's intention. It makes a mockery of pure-hearted devotion. You see that? It makes a mockery of faithfulness. You know, because the act is there, but that commitment is not. That long-term, pure-hearted devotion and commitment that says, I'm going to be with you no matter what. Right? That's often spoken when sex happens outside of marriage. But that spoken commitment often lasts as long as the act. Sometimes a little longer. And so that's why, I mean, what's interesting is that I think even though we have this rampant sexualization of our culture, right? Everything is about sex. People know that being married still means something, right? It means something. And most people think that adultery is wrong. But Jesus goes even farther, right? He goes beyond the command that you know. Jesus knows that it's possible to violate this command without actually having sex. Jesus knows it's possible to violate this command without being married, Jesus knows it's possible to violate this command in your heart. In your heart. And so um, we need to see that what Jesus says in verse 28, Jesus says that adultery's invisible twin is lust. Okay? Adultery's invisible twin is lust. I think most of us really know what lust is, but you know, just to make sure, you know, to, to lust... Um, is to stare at someone to be sexually aroused or fulfilled. Okay, to stare at someone in order to be sexually aroused or fulfilled. And you need to know, I feel it's so funny because I know what my heart does. My heart tries to weasel my way out of feeling any conviction. Okay? And so I feel compelled to share with you that you can stare at someone both physically and mentally. 
Okay? Though you may look away, you may still be gazing and staring at the image that's in your brain. Okay? Just because you've turned your head doesn't necessarily mean you're not lusting after somebody. That you're not seeking sexual arousal or fulfillment. Now, it's, it's, it's the staring, it's the replaying, it's, it's the taking things even further in your mind. I mean, this is lust. This is lust. Now, this doesn't mean that you never feel the impulse of lust when you see someone who's attractive or you see someone who's dressed inappropriately. Okay? Because that's not what that means. That, that, that's not lust. The question is, how do you respond to that impulse? Okay, what do you do in response to that impulse? That's what Jesus is getting at. It's, it's the gazing, it's the lustful imagination that follows the impulse that Jesus is addressing. And so we saw this last week, but it totally applies um, now, right? This is an iceberg, right? This huge mountain of ice, right? Jesus says, you've heard that it's said. Everybody understands that you shouldn't commit adultery, Right? But Jesus says there's something underneath adultery. There's something that's floating underneath the surface of the water. Go ahead to the next one. Right? Every iceberg, only 10% floats above the water. The other 90% is down below. People say, oh, well, you know, I've never committed adultery. That's good. It's good that you've never committed adultery. But Jesus is saying that underneath the surface, there's this invisible giant, this lust that's trying to get control. And for every one way that you can commit adultery, there are nine ways that you can lust after someone else in your heart. Right? This entire iceberg is unfaithfulness. This entire iceberg compromises the pure-hearted devotion that's behind the commandment not to commit adultery. And Jesus wants for us to be freed from all of this. Jesus wants to set us free from all of our unfaithfulness, from every, from even, uh, from even the, the sexual arousal and fulfillment that we pursue in our hearts. I remember having lunch uh, with a business colleague years ago, and the subject of pornography came up. And this is what he said. He said, well, you know, I can look at the menu as long as I don't order anything. I mean, and for him, he felt like that was the end of the, end, you know, the, end of the story. Like, it's, it's, it's okay as long as I don't do anything about it. Or as long as I don't act on it. I can look at the menu all that I want. I can spend all my time looking at the menu, gazing at the menu, staring at the menu, as long as I don't take her to bed. As long as I don't go to bed with him. Right? I mean, Jesus is saying, if that's how you think, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. It's all connected. I want you to think for a moment, what if your thoughts were reality? What 
What if everything that you've ever thought about was something that you actually did? What kind of person would you be if you had actually done all the things that you've spent time with in your heart? I know for me, um, that thought brings me more shame, more of a desire to like dig a hole, crawl in, and bury myself than maybe anything else. And we think it's okay because we haven't done these things. But as we think about these things, as we long for these things, Jesus says that we've done these things in our hearts. And so even if we haven't physically done them, (laughs) but even to say that, there are physical things that you probably have done as you've been thinking about these things, um, they are part of who we are. If you've thought and you longed for these things, they are part of who you are. <clears throat> and we need to, we definitely need to mention the fact that uh, this isn't just a men's struggle anymore. Right? More and more women struggle with being sucked into the vortex of sexual lust, both from pornography, but even more so from the media and the pornography that just happens to cover up certain things, but it's just as prevalent. Uh, in, on television and music and, and in the media. This is every men's and women's battle. Um, but there's also another kind of lust. Um, the, the lust that Jesus is talking about here, I think is clearly sexual lust, but the word lust in Greek sometimes doesn't have the sexual connotation. Sometimes it just means strong desire. And I think there's another kind of lust that, uh, that, that I think warrants discussion and adultery, and that's emotional lust. You know, sometimes um, emotional lust, you, you think about what, what, what draws people together. And uh, again, this isn't just for women, but also men you know, feel like this too, where um, they long to be understood, right? They're frustrated at home. They're discontent with their spouse. Um, or they're discontent that they don't have a spouse. And they end up meeting somebody at work, at the gym, at church. Someone who finally seems to like care enough to stop and listen. Finally, someone that seems to understand. Um, someone who seems to, to be willing to accept them for who they are and not try to make them something they're not. And the heartstrings begin to bind together. Um, this is often where physical adultery starts. It starts with emotional connection. It starts with a relationship uh, that crosses over appropriate emotional boundaries and then leads farther and farther and farther. But I think emotional adultery can be just as damaging. Um, and it's just as wrong. It's just as wrong to, to long for someone else um, who's not your spouse 
to meet needs that God has designed only the marriage to meet. Emotional adultery is still adultery. We have to understand, too, because again, like, there's people, I know how, how different this is from the way the world thinks. Okay, this is so radically different from the way that everything else tells us to think in our lives. Um, but lust, it, it's a fire. It's a fire that will consume us inside and out. I mean, it is a consuming fire. There's an interesting chapter in the book of Job. In Job chapter 31, verse 9 and 12. Let me read this to you. Job 31, 9, it says, If my heart has been enticed toward a woman, uh, and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes, and it would burn to the root all my increase. So we see here that this is what lust does. Lust burns up. It destroys the blessings of God in our lives. How does it do that? Boy, it does it so many ways. I mean, the first thing that lust does is lust turns, I mean, just thinking about it from the most prevalent sense in our society, lust turns women into objects. Lust turns women into objects. That's what it does. The woman in the magazine, the woman on the internet, the video, like, does she have a name? Does she have a personality? Does she have friends? Does she have a family? Lust says, I don't care. I don't care. I just want her. And I want her the way that I want her. And if, I mean, what lust does is it objectifies, it treats women as objects. And it's, it's really awful. It's really, really awful because we've got a, a culture right now that is doing this sort of one-two punch to women. Okay, because on the one hand, it is telling women that they need to demand equality and that that society hasn't been fair and that women ought to be treated in the exact same way that men are treated. And then it tells them, you know what, you're not good enough unless you look like this. Unless you look so good that men will look at your breasts, at your butt, at your body, at your legs, at your... And if you don't dress in a way that makes men begin to play with you in their minds, then you're not good enough. I mean, this is the opposite of this. If men are looking at you because they want to lust after you because of the way that you're dressed, how can you ever, ever get respect? Right? If, if in order for me to look at you, I have to constantly remember like, not to look down. Right? 
And I just, I honestly, like, the, the, the idea of being a woman today in society, like, I just, it's really awful what the culture is trying to do to women. It's not fair. It's wrong. It's evil. It's evil. But this is what, it feeds the lust. It feeds, it feeds, it feeds lust. Sociologists say that this objectification is the first step toward violence. That in the history of humanity, that slavery, um, that abuse, that, um, that physical violence always comes after a group of people has been objectified. I've got to be convinced they're not really human in order for me to treat them this way. And that's what, that's what our media does. It is actively trying to train you that if you don't dress this way, you're not good enough. And once you dress this way, well then, you know, then you're great. In the meanwhile, getting better at this keeps you from ever being able to get real respect and be treated the way God would want you to be treated. With respect, fairness, I have a hard time imagining how somebody could justify a differentiation between lust and rape. Okay? I think lust is rape in your heart. Jesus says it's adultery in your heart. I think we just should be honest. If you are causing someone else to do something that they don't want to do in your heart, you're not doing the physical act, which is a good thing, but, again... Like, lusting after someone? If it were in real life, would it be rape? I mean, this is serious. This is not, I mean... It's a big deal, folks. It's a really big deal. Um, The porn industry is a $12 billion a year industry. $12 $12 billion a year are spent on porn. And out of that $12 billion, $2 billion is spent on soft porn. Okay, soft porn would be like Playboy, Hustler, you know, more tame stuff. So $10 billion a year is spent on things that don't pass the shame test in just about any circle. Okay? $10 billion a year. $10 billion a year. This includes child pornography. This is a huge deal, and every time you lust after someone in your heart, you're supporting this industry. You're just, you're participating in it. I'm participating in it. When you give in, when you lust after someone in your heart. So one of our resident artists, Chad Gray, you've got this in your bulletin. Let's go to the next slide. It's just a a good artist rendition of the relationship between lust and adultery. 
So this is lust, adultery is invisible twin. And again, just another way to think about this so that you can just understand this. Um, so lust is black, right? Because it's the dark side of a person. Um, lust, in this picture, it's the same color as the man's heart. Because that's where lust comes from. Lust comes from the heart. And lust is big. Much bigger, right? I can't tell you the things that I would never, ever do. I'd never do the things that I've done here. But with lust, we, we take it farther. We go farther. It's never, ever satisfied. And so it's much bigger than the man. He's done far more in lust than he'd ever do in real life. And it's interesting because the man's becoming green, which is the same color as the name of lust. And so green, right? I mean, when you give yourself into lust, your life becomes consumed by selfishness. It's like being green with envy. Um, Because that's what lust is. Lust is demanding. Lust is self-serving. Right? And that selfishness, it does affect other parts of your life. When you spend time investing, when you invest your time and your money and your energy into lust, it begins to take over more and more of your heart. And that green, that envy, that, 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 that demanding selfishness begins to manifest itself in other parts of your life. It takes over other parts of your, of your life. And uh, one of the things I like about this is that, um, that lust is messing with the guy's hat. Right? You see that? He's kind of grabbing the hat. He's going to pull it off. Um, he, he's messing with the guy. You know, you think lust isn't real. But lust is able to reach into the reality of this guy's life and to mess with him. You know, even though this guy presumably is leaving the house, right? He's got his hat on. Lust is controlling him. Lust controls his eyes. It controls his thoughts and his heart. And lust does stuff like this because it wants to keep things light. Look, it's not a big deal. I'm not a big deal. We're just having a little bit of fun. And meanwhile, lust is in control. Think about the damage of... um, of some of the emotional lust. I just want to mention this before we move on. Um, Tim Keller says this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says this about making sex into an idol or making sex or a relationship into a god. He says, he's talking about a particular woman, he said she had come to look to men for the kind of deep affirmation and acceptance that only God could provide. As a result, she became a slave to love. She had to be in a relationship. Making an idol out of love may mean that you allow the lover to exploit and abuse you. Or it may cause terrible blindness to the relationship problems that everyone else can see. But you're blind to it because you have to have this. He says in order to hold on to the relationship... You're willing to break promises. You're you're willing to rationalize indiscretions and betray other allegiances. Participating in a relationship like this turns into slavery.
there's a book that I have, um, and sometimes you get a book just because of the title. The title of the book just just helps you. Um, and this book is it's about addictions, and, and the book is entitled Banquet in the Grave. Banquet in the Grave. And that's what lust sets out for you. You think about being in a cemetery that's filled with death and decay and rot. And in that cemetery is this amazing display of food. It's your favorite foods. It's the greatest thing ever. It says you can eat it all, no calories attached. And this banquet is actually in a hole that's six feet down in the ground. Lust says, come and enjoy. Physical lust, emotional lust, come on and have a feast. And that's what happens. The damage that results from investing your life in lust, we've talked about the selfishness, it breeds isolation. You separate yourself from the rest of the world. You close off portions of your life, right? Because you don't want anybody to know what's going on. And so you separate yourself and separate yourself and separate yourself, and you become more and more ingrown. And the the tragedy is that lust, adultery, sexual fulfillment, if you're living for that, it will never, ever, ever satisfy it's always going to demand more. Right? Music videos give way to soft pornography. So- magazines give in to videos. Videos become harder and harder and more and more and more. And it just, it never, ever, ever stops. It's never satisfied. It's never satisfied. And again... I want to make it clear, the reason that Jesus brings up adultery and lust, the reason that I am trying to give you as clear a taste of what this is like, is because Jesus wants you to be free. Jesus wants to set you free. He couldn't get any clearer in terms of the consequences You know, he says in verses 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out, cut it out, get rid of it, because it's better for you to get rid of what's causing you to sin and go to heaven than to go in your full body to hell. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Jesus wants us to be sure that there is judgment both now and in the future. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we get out? 
How do we experience this freedom that Jesus seems to want to have us experience? Well, the first thing is you need to realize that the same Jesus who spoke these words in Matthew 5 died on a cross and rose from the dead. You need to understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, referring to all the ways that people sin sexually, it says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you're trapped in this, if you struggle with this, if you fall into this in any way, you need to realize that Jesus came and died for you. That Jesus rose from the dead so that you could be washed. Washed clean of your sins so that you could be sanctified. That means made holy. That means have your heart changed. And you'd be justified. That means declared forgiven and righteous in the sight of God. Not because you have been holy, but because Jesus was holy. You've got to understand that the Jesus who speaks against adultery and lust, the Jesus who says, tear out your eyes and throw it away, that Jesus, his eyes were marred by the blood that dripped from his head as the thorns were smashed into his scalp. You've got to understand that the Jesus who says, cut off your hand, is the Jesus whose hands were fixed on the cross so that he could open his arms wide and receive you if you confess your sins to him. And the Jesus that was crucified is the Jesus who was raised from the dead. And at the resurrection, the resurrection is the statement from God that says, all is forgiven. Jesus experienced hell on the cross by suffering God's wrath against our sin. And in the resurrection, God is declaring to you and to me That forgiveness is complete. If you trust in Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven. You can come back to God. And so this is true for all of us because both Christians and non-Christians struggle with sexual sin. We all struggle with lust, physical and emotional And so, if you're coming to Jesus for the first time, or if it's for the hundred and first time, you come to him, and in the cross and the resurrection, you find your forgiveness and acceptance with God. That's where you go. That's what you do. Every time you fail in this area, every time you sin in this area, We have to remember as we go through this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7, through we have to remember where it starts. Jesus says, look, if you fail at anything, go back to the beginning. And in Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
if you have failed and you're willing to be honest, you're blessed. Jesus says, blessed are the honest and blessed are the hungry. If you're honest about your sin and you're hungry for God and his ways, you are blessed. That's how you are set free. So you come to Jesus first. Second is, you need to be serious against lust. This is verses 28 and 29 about plucking out an eye and cutting off a hand. Jesus is saying, I want you to take this seriously. Okay, we know he's not telling us to take this literally. Okay, Um, because if you cover up your right eye, you can lust with your left. Okay, and... um, I actually did that this week. I did that this week. I spent 24 hours and I got, Ryan had a, had a patch from a pirate costume. And, uh, and I wore an eye patch for a week. Not for a week, for a day. Because um, I just wanted to see what it would be like. And, uh, and I've got to tell you, there was a cost involved. There was a cost involved to deciding that I was going to take a little bit more of a serious and radical action against lust. Um, it was hard to see. No depth perception. Perspective is challenging. So it was hard to do just the, the, the little things. You know, sometimes hard to find stuff, hard to grab stuff. Hard to, it was hard to drive. Um, I stayed off the freeway. I stayed pretty much on side streets all day because um, it really wasn't safe. Um, I didn't realize this, but the biggest amount of suffering, the biggest cost to me in doing this and wearing an eye patch for a day was the persecution that I suffered. I was ridiculed by people. I had friends making fun of me for doing this. And they asked me what I was doing. I told them why, and they were just making fun of me. Um, so that was challenging. I didn't expect that, actually. I expected people to think I was super holy or something, you know, because here I was doing this thing. But no, I got ridiculed for that. Um, and so there were challenges. Like I had blind spots, things I couldn't see. It was challenging to just sort of function. One of the hardest things actually was talking to people face-to-face because it's just, you know, you get so used to being able to see somebody with two eyes and to cover one, it just it made reading people or expressing myself just awkward. Um, but I can tell you that doing that had a dramatic impact on how much I fed my lust that day. Um, And I'm not sure that this is like the right way to necessarily go about it, but I can tell you that because I did this, I was proactively engaged against lust because I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's kind of like when you fast, you know, the hunger keeps reminding you that you got something you're praying for. Like, this became this thing. And so Jesus says, take it seriously. Take it seriously. The damage that lust can do, the damage a sexual sin can have, take it seriously. I mean, so much so that he would say, look, cut your hand off, pluck out your eye, right? Using that as an illustration. I mean, speaking in exaggerated language. And so you want to take it seriously. Don't think this is a small thing. Get this sin out of your life. Cut out the things that contribute to it. Don't feed it. 
Another suggestion that makes two more is you need to replace your lust with devotion. Replace lust with devotion. Devotion to God and then devotion to your spouse. Okay? You can't just deny yourself. You've got to replace that with something. So replace it with thankfulness to God. When temptation comes, say, no, I'm not going to give into this. I am thankful to God for the fact that I've got life. Come up with a list of things that you can thank God for to replace the temptation to give into lust. Realize that Jesus rose from the dead. Thank God for coming into the world. Thank God for caring so much about you that he would come and live a perfect life for you and then die for your sins. Thank God that the um, unbelievable cost that lust has, the fire of hell itself, Jesus experienced that on the cross. Thank God for that. And let your devotion carry you closer to him. And then devote yourself to your spouse, right? Devotion to your spouse. If you're not married, devote yourself to your future spouse. Right? What kind of person are you going to be on that day when you stand there and get married? What will you have done in your heart? Devote yourself now to your future spouse. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to wait. Recommit yourself to loving your spouse. To loving your wife. To loving your husband. To providing care, companionship, fulfillment, to them. You know, sex is a gift from God and it's designed to be an expression of love. You know what love does? Love gives. Love serves the other. Right? Boy, let that change how you view sex. That sex is designed to be an expression of self-giving love. It's not about selfishness. And so devote yourself to God and your spouse And then the last thing, just don't fight alone. In this war, don't fight alone. Get help. Get a friend. Somebody praying for you. Confess. Someone you can confess to. Someone you can be open with. When you bring somebody else into the fight with you, when you're not there alone, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. Friends, there is real freedom that comes. Jesus died for lust. He died for adultery. He died to set you free. And as you devote yourself to him, as you devote yourself to your spouse, and we do it together as a community, we will see the roots of lust come out of our hearts. And we will be able to experience more and more and more of the purity of the love and devotion of God himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for teaching us how, what love looks like and what the core of love is. Father, we all collectively confess that we have corrupted love. We have exchanged love for lust. We've taken your good gift. Man, we have made it something that is just something that's awful. God, we have bred selfishness. We have served ourselves and not others. 
And Lord, we have used other people. Please forgive us. Lord, please forgive us. Grant us your power and your strength. Lord, lead each and every one of us to a relationship that will help us uh, to be honest about what we struggle with. Enable us to find freedom and support as we are cared for by others. And I pray, Lord, too, that we would be open uh, to asking other people how they're doing, to being the kind of friend that other people might need. Jesus, I pray that for every one of us, both Christians and non here today, um, that you would show us again how real your love is. That in an area where we are so, we fall so short of your standard, that where our sin increases, grace abounds even more. Cover us with your grace and let your grace permeate into our hearts so that we would love you first and foremost and that that love would fill us up so there's no room for us to lust. We pray this in your name. Amen.